Hello, hello, hi. Y'all look so beautiful. Thank you for coming out on this, what's today, Wednesday? Maybe, sure. We woke up today, that's what's important, y'all. Hello, I am Chelsea Sanders. I am the co-founder and uh, host of Unbothered's Go Off Sis podcast. Thank you all for joining us tonight. We are going to be having a very special live episode of our podcast um, because we're in a very special place. Um, all of you hopefully have gone through the King Pleasure exhibit, um, and now we're going to hear from the minds and the genius behind it. So I am so excited and honored to welcome to the stage Janine and Lisan. Right? Come on down. Let's have a conversation. <laughs> chair doesn't have a thingy. That's okay. I can perch y'all. Don't worry. I got it. <laughs> um, welcome. Thank you. Janine, Lisan. thank you so much for joining us. Um, I start every podcast episode with a little intro and just some good energy. So if you will indulge me. Hi. Hello. Hey. How are we doing? Doing good. What is your word for today? How are you feeling? Mm. To be honest, I'm a little exhausted. <laughs> That's fair too. Keep it 100, okay? <laughs> but excited to be here. But yes. Um, my word for today is love. Ooh, mm. love that. Yeah. Okay, my word for today is grace. So that's something I'm stepping into, and I appreciate all of you stepping into this space of grace with us. So I want to just start off, you know, obviously this is such an impressive, expansive exhibit um, and a testament to Jean-Michel's work, um, to his life, to, you know, all parts of his life, um, and curated in a way that feels so creative, but also very personal and specific. So I want to just start out with saying, when you first sort of decided to take on this endeavor, you know, with the estate and curate it and produce it, what were those first conversations like? How did that sort of come about? And how did you start to concept this in a way that you felt honored your brother's legacy, but also Jean-Michel as an artist? Well, um, that's actually a good question. Um, hey, everyone. Good to be here. Thank you for being here. Um, I just want to clarify that the estate is Lisan and I. Mm -hmm. Um, our stepmother. Oh, Esquire, yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Businesswoman, yes. first, yes. So, um, and our stepmother, um, who um, watched my dad um, uh, run the estate for 25 years, um, she has been pivotal in giving us some uh, history in terms of, you know, um, how things have been uh, since he passed away in, um, in 2013. Um, in any event, uh, we, you know, had really private lives. Lisan had her career, I had mine. She had several businesses, and we said that when we took on this, the estate, that we were going to build upon what, you know, what my dad had created at this point. And having a conversation, you know, we have month, uh, 
weekly meetings, and we were talking about what our next steps were with regards to um, the estate and what we were going to do. And our stepmother mentioned that we had um, our own collection, um, a lot of things that you know had not been seen by the public, and that it was a time where we should bring them out and show them, uh, because you know sitting in a warehouse just you know didn't make sense at that point. And so, yeah, we thought that this was an amazing time uh, in 2020. We had had those conversations earlier, but in 2020, when things seemed bleak and dark, um, there was a pandemic um, hitting us, and there were um, a lot of killings of um, black men throughout the nation. We thought and it was women. A, uh, we thought it would be a great opportunity to get that conversation going. And Jean Michel had so much to say um, so many years ago, and we thought it would be a good time to to bring these works out and have that conversation. So um, thank you, first of all, for having these conversations and um, having this opportunity to share um, a lot of different moments, right, that we previously, as you said, hadn't been privy to. I think, you know, there are about 200 pieces and over 150 of them have never been seen before. Right. So when you think about sort of the public persona, right, and you think about um, the opportunity to share this with the public at a time that I think both of you very acutely said it was needed. Right. I, what I'm hearing is that it felt necessary. How did you feel about what is this public persona? Right. And how do we make sure we're also preserving that legacy, that history of Jean-Michel's you know, intersection of race and politics and culture that. I think right now is incredibly, incredibly, almost prescient, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think Jean-Michel, um, Jean-Michel touches people. He touches people to their soul. I don't know of another individual living or gone who has the far-reaching impact on people, on creatives, on people in, you know, in all different type, you know, careers that Jean-Michel has. On people, and so I don't know. I mean, we can consider that the persona, you know, his persona. And one of the things that we recognized was that Jean Michel's persona, or the way people saw him, was almost like larger than life. And while people appreciate him, and really, like, I, it's just incredible to me when I look out and I see people wearing, you know, Jean Michel's name or his art on their bodies and you know it's just incredible and one of the things for us was that we also wanted people to understand that Jean-Michel was also approachable as a human being and to kind of take him out of this idea of being larger than life and to bring him down into a way of connecting to people on more of a, you know, day-to-day -day basis that he actually is a, was a human being and that he had a family and that he had a process as an artist and as a creative. And there are so many folks who are creatives who really are deeply inspired by him. And we wanted to offer those individuals the opportunity to see that what he did while he is amazing like I don't know who the artist is and we wanted people to see themselves in him and families 
to see themselves in our family. Uh, and you mentioned family, and you sort of, again, mentioned, you know, Jean-Michel as a person, um, as a human, right, who was deeply rooted in family. So I would love to just um, roll it back a little bit. And, you know, Jean-Michel, the brother, <laughs> what, was, what was he like, right? What are some of maybe your earliest or, you know, most core memories with him that, you know, you're, you're honoring here with this exhibit? Uh, Jean-Michel was um, very, very smart, very generous, generous with his time, generous with um, his friends in terms, if, if he was one that if um, anyone, if he was going on a trip, he invited many on the trip, whether you had or, or you didn't have. In his eyes, he felt like, I have, and I want my friends with me, so I'm going to have them come with me. Um, as a kid, uh, he gave that generosity in, in, in different ways. Um, but he also was quite a prankster. Um, we got involved with a lot of um, tomfoolery, for lack, lack of better words, um, and shenanigans. Um, we, you know, there are a lot of stories about um, how, you know, we just played and, um, you know, we're very close, um, you know, tight-knit of three. Um, my dad was a single parent, and as a result of that, we had to um, take care of ourselves a lot because he was working. And so Jean-Michel was a ringleader, but he was also a very protective brother and very loving. And, um, but, like I said, quite a prankster. Thank you for sharing. Awesome. <laughs> uh, because, I, as you said, you um, seems larger than life, but also is just so close, right? Yeah. So, um, grounding that in some reality of like being a prankster. <laughs> yeah, and he was also like people ask us that question all the time, and it's you know, he was a brother, just like some of you that have brothers. You know, in that, and when he was a child, it's not like he was walking around with like a beret and like a color palette <laughs> and like you know writing shit on the wall like excuse me you know he was just he was a brother and he was uh, filled with shenanigans and uh, you know we played we you know had adventures we you know talked you know all of the things that you do with your brother who was also a very uh, creative and talented genius you know he was brilliant and incredibly creative and I think now, as you sort of reflect on those ideas or those memories, um, you know, thinking of him as the prankster and now thinking of you two as the leaders, right? Um, you know, obviously as his sisters, but also now the leaders of his legacy, right? And bringing that into fruition um, in a very different world. <laughs> um, I'd love to sort of talk a little bit about that line, right, of how you were able to curate and lead this estate and still keeping in mind some of that creative prankster energy and, and making sure that, you know, when you're in meetings trying to figure out where to hang portraits versus, you know, when you're thinking, hey, this is a recreation of our home, right? Um, so how did you sort of just thread that line of being a leader and a curator and also, again, a, a part of a family? Um. So, 
it's it's interesting when you it's very easy to lead your own legacy and you know say what you'd like um, you know when you leave this earth but when um, your passing is unexpected and that rule book isn't there um, you know for Lisan and I can't speak for my father but for Lisan and I um, it's it, it's a burden it's and and I mean that in the in the best in the in the best um, you know, possible way. It is an immense responsibility. It's a huge yeah. responsibility. You are in charge of someone else's life and legacy, and you want to make sure that you are honoring that life and legacy the best way that you think that he would want to be represented. So a lot of the times and a lot of the projects that we get involved with, we say to each other, you know, let's let's have Jean-Michel in the room, and do you think that he would be, you know, so he would agree with this? Um, and this is something that he would be proud of. And we knew that with this exhibition that he would be proud because we led with love. We led with our stories. And um, we were very authentic with the stories that we told. And so as long as we led with love and with authentic authenticity, um, it was very easy to, to put this project together and... Um, it was amazing and cathartic for us. And I think also we, it's funny, we are the estate of Jean-Michel Basquiat and we lead that effort. And what that means is that we're making decisions on behalf of our brother's legacy. And what was different about this project from other things is that this was the first time that we as a family would be forward-facing. So before this, we would just do our thing and it'd be kind of behind the scenes and us and the rest of the family, our children, you know, Shane's husband, it was all like we were just living our lives, doing our thing, and also having this incredible responsibility for Jean-Michel's estate. I think that because this is public-facing, people almost assume that like this is the estate, but it's not. This is a project that we decided to do to answer all of the questions that people have had about Jean-Michel, to give people who respect him and are fans of his deeper insight into who Jean-Michel is, to provide the ability to see these magnificent paintings in person because they were in a warehouse before. So the, the job is, it's a, an absolute, it's hard work. You know, we love our brother. We want to make sure that whatever we do, like Cheyenne said, is in line with what he would want. And, what, and, and, and part of the role is also to ensure that he, his legacy is respected. Yes. That he's not scandalized, that he's not, you know, poked at, and that he's able to be seen for the incredible work that he left and for the incredible wisdom that he shared through his work and that the focus is on that. And there have been a lot of people before we um, started running the estate who have spoken for Jean-Michel, you know, because of the relationship that they had or the time in his life that they were with him. And those are fine, but we wanted to make sure that people also understood that he had a family. Hmm. Wonderfully said. Um, I want to 
unpack two things in what you what you guys both just shared. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that responsibility and about sort of first of all, what were maybe some of the challenges that you faced in you know curating this exhibit and making sure that you felt like it did you know really show Jean-Michel as a person and as a brother. Um, maybe things that you foresaw or didn't foresee in sort of building this world out? You know, I, I got to say, um, my dad made it really easy for us because he saved a lot of stuff. Um, you know, he saved his report card. He saved all our report cards. Um, you know, immunization cards. There's so many things that are still left in our family home. So that part was easy. And surprisingly, and, and Lisan and I are very aligned on a lot of things that involve the estate. So that makes that easy as well. The hardest part was actually narrowing down to the amount of paintings that we, that we ended up with because, you know, we wanted to put them all in. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, that just did not make sense. And so Eileen, our producer, kept saying, you got to narrow this down. You got to cut it down. Um, and, you know, we made sure that we um, stayed with works that we thought spoke to people, but also told a story, um, not in a, in a chronological way, but thematically in a way that people, that we were able to tell his story and showed works that represented that. I think it was also challenging. Just, it took a lot of work to pull this thing together, y'all. Seriously. Yes. No, no, yeah. It was a it lot shows. of work. It shows. And so Janine and I are the ones who are sitting here, and it took the support of our family because we were working a lot, and we were doing this project on top of everything that... The, everything else that's going on in our lives, personally and professionally. It took a team of, I don't know how many people um, who pull this thing. I mean, you can look at the acknowledgements on the board. It was a, there were a lot of people who were involved in pulling this thing together. And I think one thing that was a little bit, I, I knew it was going to be a lot of work, but in those moments where it's like, you got to write a catalog in three months, you know, I was, you know, I forgot for a moment. <laughs> Uh, so I think that was one of the ch uh, biggest challenges, was staying very focused on the time and energy and uh, intention that we wanted to make sure this exhibition held and that we didn't breeze through any of the really important decisions. It was really important that we, every single detail, that we were intentional about every single detail and that we didn't just throw something out there. Yeah, and again, it shows. The intentionality is very clear. Um, and I think, uh, as, a, as a creative myself, sometimes I, I do have to do that. Like, you got to kill your darlings <laughs> kinds of energy, which is very hard. But also, taking things bird by bird, right? And just saying, all right, what of this do I, we want to make sure is shared? Um, and it sounds also like... You both have uh, like a legacy of curation in your blood because your dad was curating. <laughs> it seems like even before um, you knew that this was coming. So um, it, that's really interesting to me. Of just thinking about that and that legacy. And um, the second thing I wanted to touch on, in as we're sort of talking about this immense and wonderful responsibility, is um, I can't help but also just have a conversation around us as black women, right? And feeling like the 
responsibility we carry, right? To be curators, to be caregivers, to be consolidators, to be community organizers, to be compassionate, um, and to be cute all at the same time. <laughs> it's a lot. We yeah. do it. <laughs> but I, I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, and, you know, just understanding you all as, you know, black women, as sisters, as mothers, um, taking on that responsibility and taking on, you know, that legacy of excellence, right, that your dad seemed to be starting to curate, mm-hmm. you know, f- years ago. Yeah. I, I think, you know, <clears throat> the energy of creation is that energy that people who create and curate are in. And the quality of that energy is heavier than others because you're having to bring something to life. You're having to walk through uncertainty. Janine and I know how to be Jean-Michel's sisters. We know how to be Gerard and Matilda's daughters and you know the mother to our children. This was something that was very different. And while we had an incredibly talented uh, producer behind the project helping us and, and kind of showing us the way, Uh, from a curatorial perspective, we really had to be in this energy of creation in order to make this happen. And I think that women in particular are in that energy a lot, not just because we, for those of us who do, not just because we carry children and, you know, we're creating in that way, but so much of what we do is making something happen, bringing something out of nothing, you know, nurturing it, raising it, you know, whether that's a project, a person, relationships, entrepreneurial endeavors, whatever. And so I think as a black, and as a black woman, like you had that on, like we all know how, uh, how challenging that can be and how heavy it can be sometimes. So as a black woman, I am, I love being a black woman. I just do. Isn't the pretty freaking amazing? Yes. Right? <laughs> right? That we can do all of that and float through and ebb and flow through some of the challenges that are very specific and unique to black women while also being a woman as well. Um, I, I would just add that, um, you know, we come from a long line of really strong um, women. Um, you know, our grandmother in Haiti. Uh, you know, she owned several stores and really was, um, you know, the woman that really ran her household and, you know, you know, ran the store. She was a community builder. She, um, you know, got involved, you know, with politics and with her community um, and had to leave Haiti and came here really with nothing. Um, my dad had to bring her over um, after, um, you know, all the things that were going on at the time in Haiti, um, she had to flee the, the, the country. And she was one of the last to leave um, af- after my, my aunt and my uncle um, came over. Um, our uh, grandmother on our maternal side, um, she decided, um, you know, at, at a time when women didn't even work, that she wanted to work and own her own home, even though her Come husband on. said that he that we, they could not afford a home. She decided that she was going to work, and she raised every penny and bought a brownstone in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Yes. And, um, you know, and maintained that home, and that home was for any 
person that came over from Haiti. They stayed there. A lot of, you know, we stayed there for a little bit. Um, you know, any family member that needed space stayed in that home. And, you know, so, so these are examples, you know, my mother, these are examples of strong women that we were able to see as models and emulate and really be proud in, um, you know, in their strength and that passed that on to us. And so we knew that this was something that was put on us at a time when we weren't necessarily ready or prepared but we took it on, and I think we're doing pretty pretty okay with it. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think, you know, our capacity for um, doing the work is <laughs> immense, right? But I also um, want to give credence to filling your own cup. <laughs> and, you know, we've talked a lot about sort of the work and the immense heart work that this took, yeah. but what does it look like when you set that down for a day, right? What does it look like for you both to fill your cup? Um, as someone who does a lot all the time, I'm really listening. <laughs> that is my favorite. <laughs> my life is so scheduled and during the week or while I'm working, right? It's like, I gotta be here, I have to be there, I have to you know, do 12 things while I'm also focused on the things that are in front of me for the day. And so for me, what that looks like is allowing myself time where I do nothing, like an agendaless day. And in that day, sometimes it looks like sleep, laying in bed until 4 o'clock, just napping on and off all day and padding around, doing nothing, ignoring my phone and saying no when people are inviting me places, uh, drinking a bunch of water, meditating, journaling. Uh, binge watching things. What are you watching you know? right now? I just watched a whole bunch of stuff because I had bronchitis a couple of weeks ago, so I watched a lot of stuff. Uh, Top Harlem. Harlem. Ooh, great show. Harlem, yeah, yeah, great show. Yes. Yeah. Uh, scene when they're all running for no reason is my absolute. I know. Favorite. I get it. I was like, where are they going? I, I, I watched like, what's it going like ten on? times, yeah. but also same because yes. if any all started running, I'd be gone. <laughs> You would never see me again. Yes. <laughs> yes. For no reason. Yes. So um, great choice and great advice. How about you? You know, um, I hope I don't get, a, you know, some reactions from this, but I, I, I kind of feel like um, there was a point where, you know, we all felt good when we said, oh, she's a strong black woman. I actually think that that was a disservice. Let's talk about that. Yes. We feel that Let's we drop always, that in this room. We always feel like we have to be so strong and, and have a poker face and not show emotion and not be vulnerable and not take a breather and not get that massage and not take it easy and take a day off. And because that's just not necessarily in our DNA. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that we need that like any other person, human being, any other woman. And we need that, we need to give ourselves grace and we need to appreciate what we do, what we do for our families, what we do for our children and take that moment for ourselves. That's right. So. That's right. Ooh. Yeah. There's an inauthenticity to walking around like, I'm good, I'm fine, everything's right? great. Right? And 
you you know when you're falling apart. You know when you've done too much, and other people know too. And so there's, it's just not the truth. Like, what if we were to just be like, you know what? I'm not okay. I know I'm gonna be okay, but right now I'm not okay, and I'm gonna cry. What if we didn't hold it in all the time, you know, or try to make people believe something different about us, you know? And I also think that the and it's funny because Shanine and I, you know, so there's two sides to the equation when you're raised primarily by a father who is very like, get it done, work hard, you know. There was a time when I would brag, like, I thrive on stress. That's such nonsense. Right? <laughs> That's ridiculous. I don't want that. Like, I don't want, who wants to be uncomfortable all the time? Yeah. And so that's kind of the flip side of having been raised by a very strong black man who really had a lot of intention and expectation and the desire for us to be successful and to be strong black women who could stand in confidence and comfort in our own skin. The flip side of that was that we kind of went too far to the other side for a while. And I think we both showed it in different ways, you know, where it's like, there was a time where I was embarrassed to say, oh, I had a massage. I'd be doing it like I was cheating on somebody. <laughs> you know? like, God forbid somebody would be like, where were you? I had a massage. <laughs> or I'm fine. I was just hanging out. And then I'll tell my closest friends, girl, I just had a massage. Like, it's a big secret. And, like, there's something wrong with it. So I think I'd love for us as women to kind of shift that narrative. And I'm really happy that Janine and I are taking that burden on and make, because it makes it easier for our children to feel comfortable and safe and proud of taking care of themselves. Right, mom. Yeah. <laughs> that, my mom is here, so she loves that. Yes. <laughs> that's the yeah. biggest burden, I think. Like the burden of Jean-Michel, yes. The burden of all the responsibility in our businesses, yes, and all of that. But we are also doing something for our children yeah. and for our grandchildren. And that's the, that's the real work there, yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's something that we talk about often, you know, on Unbothered. And um, something that has guided me is understanding that strong is not the rent I pay to be a black woman in this world. That's right. That's right. right? I owe no one. <laughs> that's right. And I, have to, I don't have to explain my worth ever. That's right. So um, I think just hearing that and that reinforcement I think is important um, because we're teaching others how to act, right? When we, you know, your side man could be Burke Williams, <laughs> right, at the spot, but you're implicitly giving permission for other people to do the same, right? Even if you consciously don't recognize it in that moment, it's saying, oh, okay, she did, maybe I can too, right? Um, you know, and making sure that that example is set for that next generation. Um, because when I think about things like, you know, as you sort of speak to their brownstone and we sort of have conversations around generational wealth, right? Those tenets are the wealth that we need to be actually talking about more to sustain ourselves in order to do these amazing types of projects, right? Absolutely. So um, I just, I want to emphasize that because I'm saying out, out loud for everyone here and everyone listening, because it's, incredibly important and sometimes you forget yeah. you have to fill your own cup yeah. and so as we sort of talk about you know setting an example 
Um, and as you mentioned at the top of this conversation, um, Jean-Michel has inspired, you know, an entire generation, right, of artists, of creators, of creatives. Um, and as you shared, has inspired you and, you know, the way that you all move. Um, what would you say is something that you would share with this next generation of creators or something that you feel like Jean-Michel would hope is you know, gotten from this as people see this and are inspired by it. And like you said, wearing shirts with his image on it. Um, I think the biggest um, thing that Jean-Michel has definitely taught me is that um, the only way that you're going to get something done is to walk through that door and do it. Believe in yourself, have the faith that you can get it accomplished and do it. Um, Jean-Michel was willing, you know, like Malcolm X, by any means necessary. He was willing to leave home at a young age, couch surf, in order to place himself in certain scenarios and positions in order to put himself in the right people to become the artist that he wanted to. He knew that that white-collar job the artist, I mean, not the, the, the lawyer, the doctor, the engineer, that, that just was not his path, not his passion. And so I would say, you know, walk through that door. Don't be afraid. Um, and make sure that you have the support of your family and the support of friends that will, you know, help you get across there. And, you know, maybe, you know, your, your, your parents will invest in your work, um, you know, your, your friends, your family, um, and but you'll you'll get there, as long as you have the the determination to get there. I think. I think there's a few things. Um, first of all, I just want to step back one quick second. I think it's really important for us to model for the next generation. And I just want to also mention that I think it's important for us to also parallel model. Because I think sometimes we're like, oh, we're going to do this for the next generation. And we literally just skip a whole generation focused on the next generation. And I think that saying to you, sis, take care of yourself. You okay? I think we should do that as well. Because then there's a collective focus on us all feeling better and modeling for those children that we're not able to touch. Parallel modeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. I've never heard that before. And I think I just made it up. It's this room. Beautiful things happen in this room. It's I don't know. Modeling. Put that on a t-shirt. I just made that up. <laughs> Y'all don't take that because I'm a trademark it in two seconds. Um, so in terms of Jean-Michel, I think there's a couple of things for creatives. I think one is, um, Dreams are amazing, and action is how you honor the dreams that we have, mm. right? So it's one thing to be like, I'm gonna, I'm getting ready to gonna, you know? And it's another thing to actually put some action behind that. Um, for example, we had a vision back in 2017, and it was like, if we were going to honor Jean-Michel, what would that look like? It'll look like this, you know, that. You know, we kind of talked it out, had some conversations with Nora, our stepmother, and, um, and then we took a couple of steps in the direction of figuring out what it would actually be if, you know, to, to walk down this path. 
and we connected with Eileen then. That was like in 2017. And we had some conversations and it was like, it's going to be like this. Like, this is the list, right? And we looked at each other and we thought, okay, is this the right time for us? Can we really be set up for success? And the answer at the time was no. And we knew that we could we do it? Because we got that Gerard Basquiat up in us. Yeah, we could. But did we want to do it in that way? And the answer was no. And we wanted to make sure that doing it, we would do it in a way where we would be able to executive produce it, have full control, have it happen the way we wanted to, while also staying true to our roles and relationships and our family. Uh, so I think it's really important to take that dream and have a vision and also bring it into reality and get some action steps behind it. And in order to do that, I think it's important to understand what the action steps actually are. So one of the things Jean-Michel did was he wanted to be an artist. So he was great as a painter, and he also understood there was a business acumen that he needed to have and develop and a community that he needed to be part of that would show him what he actually had to do. So for us, it was having a vision. Janine in 2020 being like, the world's crazy. Should we? This is a good time for us to do this, you know, in 2020. And then reaching back out to Eileen, who had the experience, you know, really deep curatorial experience and production experience to show us, like, how to actually do it. So I think it's, you gotta, you gotta do the thing. You gotta take the steps and do the thing. And don't be around people who are gonna shoot your dream down. Because we do Woo! that. We're like, oh, I wanna do this thing. So I'm gonna go to that one person that I know is gonna say something to shoot my idea down. And then when they say the thing, I'm gonna go, you know, exactly. that's your fault. Don't give your dreams to people that don't respect and honor them. Create a community around you of people who are going to cheer you on and cheer you on, encourage you, and point you in, in the direction to actually realize that thing. That, I, I love that because I think som sometimes we're in our own way, right? Um, and sometimes we let other people get in our way. Right. Um, and I think it's about, like you said, curating people who believe in your dream, who will respect it, who will hold it with comfort and care, grace and love. And then also just, you know, surrounding yourself with people who you admire. <laughs> like that, that's something that um, I've definitely come to learn, especially in this time, you know, where our, our circles are smaller. But who, who do you admire? Maybe reach out to them. Say, like, I admire what you do. Can I maybe, you know, talk to you about it, right? Um, and I think parallel modeling style. <laughs> that also doesn't necessarily have to be people who are in our field, right? Or are, you know, older. They can be younger. They can be the same age. At this point, you got a phone. You can do whatever you want, right? So I think that, that that's also really important to hear. And it doesn't have, you know, an age limit. It doesn't have a restriction. It doesn't have a time limit either. I think the other thing that Jean-Michel did is the other thing that I hope that you would get, and it's something that Janine and I had to do, which is there are certain seasons, and during the chapter of us working on this project, everything was set up for us to be successful at doing it. So what that means is 
things that maybe we had time to do before or some hanging out or whatever those things are, we really had to put some of that on the shelf and be really focused and very intentional about our time and our energy. And I think that's part of the sacrifice when you want to get something done is understanding that you also, if you're going to do it, need to set your life up so that you can actually get that thing done. So we have people around us who are like, we got it, we love you, do your thing, you know, and, and that really helps. That's, that's hugely important, but just a blessing to have people in your corner like that. Um, I want to leave some time for some audience questions in case anyone um, wants to step up to the mic, but um, thank you for talking with us and just sharing of yourself, Gina thank and you. Lasana. You guys are just so absolutely wonderful. Um, is there anything before we turn it over to audience questions that um, you'd like to close with or just or share um, that we d- didn't touch on? I'll say one thing while you're thinking. Um, the Emporium is still open. I was told to make sure we said this. <laughs> Two things. The Emporium, which is the storage right on Grand to the left as you walk out. Uh, and there's a little photo booth thing in there. And it is beautifully curated. It's not like a gift shop. It is a full-scale boutique shopping experience. Please, you know, take a, you know, take a little stroll over there. We would appreciate it immensely. The catalog that you see in there, we wrote. Um, and it really is a deeply intimate look at Jean-Michel's life. Uh, so go there. And uh, the second thing is please, please, please tell your friends about this exhibition. You know, we're not going to be here long. So please, please, please tell your friends about this exhibition. Do what you can to help us because this is, you know, something that we're doing and we really want as many, um, what is it, Los Angelians? Angelinos? Angelinos. Angelicans? Angelinos. As many people who live in L.A. and the surrounding areas. (laughs) to come through. So um, please, 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 we really appreciate that. Uh, You know, we've done a lot of work to create this experience, and we have an incredible team of people to help you through and shepherd you through and, you know, share information. So tell people about it. Um, Come on, a last word, girl. Say something. Um, it's been a great evening, and um, I've enjoyed having this conversation and talking with you guys and sharing a little bit of our experiences um, as women walking this earth. So thank you. Um, I'd love to take a, a question. Any questions? I, I think the lady uh, uh, with the white. Yeah. Hello, hello. Thank you so much. This is absolutely stunning. Thank you for sharing your brother with us in such a beautiful, intimate way. I have experienced loss of loved ones like you obviously have. And one way that I continue with them is by kind of uh, keeping characteristics of them with me. And I feel like it's changed the way I interact with the world and just who I am as a person. 
do you feel the same way? And how do you carry him with you? Wow. It is a really great question. Um, you know, Jean-Michel passed away in, you know, in, 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 what is it, 33 years ago? Um, 35 years ago. And the loss is as great today as it was then. Um, at the time, I was 21 and not prepared to never see my brother again. And so doing this exhibition um, was an amazing experience for both of us. Um, it almost was like a collaboration working with him. And, you know, the catalog that we wrote, we were able to write about a lot of the stories that happened in our childhood, um, things, how we were raised, um, experiences that we had, and interactions that we had with Jean-Michel prior to him, you know, becoming a famous artist and even during. And, you know, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about him but it is truly an honor and a blessing to be able to participate in making sure that the world knows so much more about him than what's been out there previously. So I'll leave you with that. Also, like, a healing, in a way. And healing. Restorative, right? Absolutely. Very, yeah. very. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yes, right here Same. There we go. I actually just have a statement. So um, before I say it, I'd just like to introduce myself. My name is Kathleen Laporte. I'm Brooklyn born. I live in Queens. I'm again. I'm mother from Haiti, father from Dominican Republic, but we're still with Caribbean Haitian roots. Um, this was important for me to be here today. Uh, I want to thank you for your vision, for your passion. We see it. We feel it through the exhibit. I have been to many museums that featured some of your brother's works, like MoMA and so forth, uh, museums in London and so forth. Um, but your staff here is also amazing. Off the chain. Amazing, right? Um, I want to thank you also for gifting me the ticket to come today and tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow is my 51st birthday. So Ooh, yes. thank you. Gemini in the house. So I flew into L.A. this morning, dropped my bags off at the hotel, and came here to make my 1 p.m. time slot. I only came to L.A. for this exhibit because I missed New York City. I kept thinking I'm going to make it there. Um, but I have to end by saying I am not only a fan of your brother and his amazing legacy and talent. I am a fan of your excellence and your amazingness. So thank you. And God bless you and your efforts and thank you for the tickets my my birthday gift from you guys <laughs> so thank you thank well you. my gemini sister my birthday is on friday <laughs>
you I mean, I'm a Virgo. No. Oh, oh, you are Virgo. Yeah, 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 you are Virgo. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you said, okay. And yes, just clarify. Yes. Oh, I love it. Okay, and Gemini Air Sign, got you. Okay. Miss Laporte won a giveaway we did in yes. IG Live last week, Shannon and I. Amazing. And we gave away, I think, a catalog and then also tickets to the oh. exhibition, and that is how... You wound up here, and I'm so happy to hear that you flew all the way in. So, y'all, don't wait for it to leave. And then, you know, that was a fluke. So, you know, that's true, too. That's true, too. This is your time. Um, hi. My question was about the um, name of the exhibit. What's the story behind King of Pleasure? Um, so, you know, we had, sorry, um, we had a working title. And then, um, you know, we said we, we finally need to create a, a real title for this thing. And um, my daughter, actually, we were sitting in the kitchen, and she started going through the titles of um, his works. And um, uh, she was, you know, she was, you know, kind of going through, and she said, there's one called King Pleasure. And we started Googling and realized that King Pleasure was actually um, a singer, a jazz singer, and he sang Moody's Mood for Love, which I know the song very well. Our family actually um, listened to the song. Frankie Crocker was a, um, a DJ in New York City, and he always ended his, um, you know, his thing with the song Moody's Mood for Love. Um, there I go, there I go, there I go, there I go. And, you know, it was a song that, you know, was, was, was great for us. My dad loved the song. And so that just clicked for us. King, he, you know, wore the crown, drew the crown. He was, you know, a king, always standing in his, you know, in his royalty. And um, that's, how, that's how we came up with the name. So it's a it's a, a combination of the the title of the work, the song, and Jemichelle and his and his brilliance. That was also a collaboration, like you said, with, with your yeah. family and with your daughter. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, I think we have time for one more. Oh uh, uh, yeah, green. Yeah. Oh, okay. You can you. Yes. Well, and then so we we'll do you back here. Yep. Yes. Come in. Her daughter, Sophia Haravo, filmmaker, founder of Gold Finn Productions. Oh. Productions. She want to make some stuff for She directed and produced the um, interviews that you watched. Um, oh, oh, in the, in awesome! Oh, that's great. Nice. I'm not going to say aspiring because she yeah. actually is a filmmaker. No, it, it's it is true. Um, I, again, I love that this is like legitimately a family affair. Like it really, really is. Like from the top to bottom, so I love that. Well, I am very honored to be here, especially amongst fellow Gemini women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna be 57 on the fourth, though. Yeah, touche. I have been a, an avid collector of Jean-Michel since receiving my first painting as a gift. And I can't tell you how many times I've tried to attend events in New York and wasn't able to. And I just so happened to be here from Los An from Atlanta visiting. So this is awesome. So my question is, 
how would you see Jean-Michel if he were a living legend right now? Are you asking what we think Jean-Michel would be doing had he lived? Yes. Oh, so when, while Jean-Michel was alive, he did all the things. And I believe that he would continue doing all the things. He was in film. He was in... Uh, uh, he was into film. He was actually in Downtown 81, which Mary Paul is behind, who's sitting here, um, who is a friend of Jean-Michel's. Uh, he was in film. He was in music, bebop. He uh, painted, obviously. He uh, played. He was in a noise band. And so Jean-Michel really lived. That's kind of the king pleasure thing. Yeah. Like he was creative and he just lived an incredibly creative and energetic life. Mm -hmm. And I believe that he would have continued to do more of that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. And then we will end with this the woman in green with the fantastic hair. Hi. Um, I am an engineer, and it took me a really long time to finish college. And now I have a good career, but I felt like I hit a point where I felt like it's not for me and I want to travel the world. I want to be a creator. But you mentioned earlier that, you know, having that family support is so important. I don't ha I have the family support in that they love me and they're so proud of me, but I don't have that support in being a creator. They're terrified. They're always like, you're not going to quit your job. You're not going to quit your job yet, right? And so I wanted to know, because I know, I'm sure at some point, Jean-Michel had the, this encounter, especially having a dad who was a go-getter, I'm sure at some points he felt this pressure to ha have it all, either have it all together or struggle until you get to where he is now. So it's like, what advice can you give to someone who is going through that path, they want to do something creative, but they feel as an African-American like they have to have it all together? Do I have a story for you? <laughs> so our father was Haitian. And if you know anything about Haitian culture, uh, you are a doctor, a lawyer, a white collar. That's what you're doing. And when Jean-Michel, as Jean-Michel was growing up, there were no role models for a black man to believe that he could have dreadlocks in his head and become one of the greatest painters ever. What he had was determination. And our father was really resistant to it. And he was resistant because he was afraid and because there was no proof of concept that Jean-Michel or anyone could just go out and be a painter, right? And still make a living and still be okay and all of that. There was no, there was no proof that that could ever happen. And so what Jean-Michel did was he went and put himself into communities of people who understood his vision. So what I would share with you is go and find groups of people who are going to support this path that you want to go on in this next chapter in your life and just have like chips and soda not soda, don't drink soda and don't eat chips but you know, do other things with your family and understand that your family isn't going to give you every they're not going to understand every single thing about you at some point 
you have to cut that cord of fear and do the thing that you want to do with your life. And hats off to you for going from, you know, being an engineer to now becoming a creator and, and you know, sinking into your um, creative energy. Hats off to you for that. Get other creatives around you so that you don't feel like you're so alone. And it'll make the, re the relationship with your family about this a little bit different because the weight won't be as much. One right here. There you go. That's it. Love Just it. takes one. All right. Um, I think, okay, one last question. Yes, right here. Uh-oh, there we go. Also giving fabulous. Hi. I made it, guys. So I'm artist uh, Freddie Michelle Renee, and I am so honored to be here. A year and a half ago, I wasn't about to be here. I was almost murdered in a carjacking as I was getting ready for an art exhibit at the Beverly Center um, under John Michel. It was the Lost Warhols Museum. And I have a bullet right here and a metal arm. I'm a little nervous, yeah. So I just finished an exhibit at the Haitian Museum of Chicago. I drove from LA to Chicago with this metal arm, with this bullet in my chest. Um, I have dreams about John Michel. And one time he told me to paint flowers in a dream. So I got up, I painted these flowers, and they were amazing. And this painting, 60 by 70 painting, won me Artist of the Year. This was after the shooting, actually. This was three weeks after the shooting. So then I got the call from the Haitian Museum. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with artist Franz Balthazar, uh, but he was good friends with your brother, and he shared so many stories with me that were just amazing. And for some reason, I recorded these stories. So I was shot February 9th, I mean, sorry, December 9th. February 9th, Franz Balthazar passed away. And I was questioning my art. This is all within this, this year's time, you know, year and a half time. I was questioning my art. I had to dream about John Michel. I painted the flowers. Then I had a dream about Franz. The next day, that's when the Haitian Museum called me and offered me a four-month exhibit. So I just finished that, and I just got back. The staff here is amazing. She texted me. She said, I had two consolations. Can you come in? And I didn't almost make it. So I made it. I got the ticket. And I'm here. I'm blessed to be around all you guys. And um, I'm happy to be alive. So, you know, I just thank you guys for doing this. Um, I also have two sisters. So I come to listen to you guys. And, you know, I try to tell them, like, y'all going to have to do this. You know, and they're not really into it. So... I just like to gain insight and, you know, um, just tell my story and, you know, just look out for me, guys. Freddie Michelle Renee. You can actually Google me. I made history because okay. the painting that I painted became 3D. When you put 3D glasses on, it's, the flowers started dancing. And it was amazing. So now I have the curator from the Beverly Center and the Chicago Museum. We're riding around to so all the museums and the galleries in L.A. Like, does the paintings come 3D? No one's painting became 3D. So they believe I created a genre of 3D art. And so, yeah. Awesome. Thank you, guys. And thank, thank you for sure. your advice today. Thank I'm you glad to be here. Wow. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here, for sharing in this space. Um, Janine and Lizanne, you are both immense, incredible women. And I think, you know, I, hopefully this conversation 
um, just helps some other creatives too. Um, and some other businesswomen, okay? Right. Because entrepreneur as well. Right. And if you remember, we started this conversation with some words. Yes. And I think we have very much given each other grace. We have shared love. And also, we're remembering, because I remember you said you were exhausted. <laughs> You're going to take a little rest <laughs> next. That's you next. So um, thank you all so much. And thank you for joining our Go Offsys Live. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.